Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's poem is Longfellow's King Whitloff's Drinking Horn. King Whitloff's Drinking Horn is written in an entirely different mood than the children's hour. It is lighthearted, retelling a story from the lore of the old Saxon kings of England. Longfellow loved all things medieval, often for their romance. This story, I think, he chose for its humor, for it tells an excellent joke. It is a Christmas Eve story, a story of camaraderie and high spirits, made even higher by generous portions of wine. Such revelry on a holy occasion was often treated with wry humor in the Middle Ages, as we find in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, one of the most enjoyable of the tales of King Arthur's Round Table. The Puritans in the 16th century, though, found such revelry scandalous, giving them yet one more reason to reject the celebration of Christmas altogether. But I don't think Longfellow, though a son of Puritan New England, finds such revelry scandalous at all. Decide for yourself as you listen to the poem. King Whitloff's Drinking Horn by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Whitloff the king of the Saxons, ere yet his last he breathed, to the merry monks of Croyland his drinking horn bequeathed, that whenever they sat at their revels and drank from the golden bowl, they might remember the donor and breathe a prayer for his soul. So sat they once at Christmas time, and bade the goblet pass, in their beards the red wine glistened like dewdrops in the grass. They drank to the soul of Whitloff, they drank to Christ the Lord, and to each of the twelve apostles who had preached his holy word. They drank to the saints and martyrs of the dismal days of yore, and as soon as the horn was empty, they remembered one saint more. Till the great bells of the convent, from their prison in the tower, Guthlock and Bartholomaeus proclaimed the midnight hour and the yule log cracked in the chimney, and the abbot bowed his head, and the flamelets flapped and flickered, but the abbot was stark and dead. Yet still in his pallid fingers he clutched the golden bowl, in which, like a pearl, had sunk and dissolved his soul. But not for this their revels the jovial monks forbore, for they cried, Fill high the goblet, let us drink to one saint more. What do you think? Is Longfellow denouncing the monks and their drinking? Or is he enjoying their good-humored, if somewhat overindulgent, camaraderie? For me, if he means to condemn, he isn't very good at it. Wine glistening like dewdrops on the grass is a pretty positive image of wine. More arguable, perhaps is the abbot stark and dead. This certainly isn't a positive image. Yet in the stanza that follows, the penultimate, that is, the next-to-last stanza, Longfellow turns to an image that might seem out of place, but doesn't feel out of place at all. Yet still in his pallid fingers, the verse goes, he clutched the golden bowl, in which, like a pearl, had sunk and dissolved his soul. 
The image of a pearl dissolving in wine comes to us from a story the Roman historian Pliny tells of Cleopatra dissolving an expensive pearl in wine before drinking it to win a bet with her lover, Mark Antony, that she could enjoy a meal more costly than any ever served in Rome. Such extravagant wastefulness is far from any Christian ideal. Yet here the image of the abbot's soul as a pearl recalls not Cleopatra's pearl, but the pearl of great price, and the wine the wine of communion, or at least the miraculous wine of the wedding feast at Cana, where enough wine was drunk by the guests that it ran out. But the abbot's death is still an intrusion into the poem, though not an intrusion that reigns in the monk's high spirits. It nevertheless works, both setting up the joke that ends the poem and producing for only a moment a contrary mood that makes the poem far more rich than a simple joke. But I dwell on this intrusion of mortality too long. Let's get back to the camaraderie and good humor. King Whitloff's Drinking Horn Whitloff, the king of the Saxons, ere yet his last he breathed, to the merry monks of Croyland his drinking horn bequeathed, that whenever they sat at their revels and drank from the golden bowl, they might remember the donor and breathe a prayer for his soul. So they sat once at Christmas time and bade the goblet pass, in their beards the red wine glistened like dewdrops in the grass. They drank to the soul of Whitloff, they drank to Christ the Lord, and to each of the twelve apostles who had preached his holy word. They drank to the saints and martyrs of the dismal days of yore, and as soon as the horn was empty, they remembered one saint more. Till the great bells of the convent from their prison in the tower, Gothlock and Bartholomaeus proclaimed the midnight hour and the yule log cracked in the chimney, and the abbot bowed his head, and the flamelets flapped and flickered, but the abbot was stark and dead. Yet still in his pallid fingers he clutched the golden bowl, in which, like a pearl, had sunk and dissolved his soul. But not for this their revels the jovial monks forbore, for they cried, Fill high the goblet, let us drink, to one saint more. Longfellow, like Charles Dickens, his contemporary across the Atlantic, and like Shakespeare before them, is a master of all moods. With a volume of his poetry by your chairside or bedside, you can find a poem for whatever mood you're in, from weary to mystical to domestic to mirthful and to many others, as we'll see. And as we do in Shakespeare and in Dickens, we can find dominant moods touched by other moods as well, giving Longfellow's poems the complexity and satisfaction of a good wine. I hope you enjoyed King Whitloff's Drinking Horn, and that you'll join me again next week. And visit this podcast website, firesidepoems.com, where you'll find my email address. I'd love to hear from you, to learn a little bit about who you are and what you like as you join me 
each week by the fireside.